Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? This episode of History Goes Bump is entirely listener-supported. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to the History Goes Bump podcast. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. Denise, can you believe it? We are three years old today. Yay, we got through the terrible twos and I don't think we destroyed anything. I don't think so. Did you think that we would be sitting here three years later? I don't know if I did or not. It was a few days before October 1st in 2014 that we both sat down in front of the one little mic that we had and recorded our first show about Ripley's Auditorium. And uh, boy, it has been a fun ride that we have been on. That is a definite, Diane. It's been a blast. We were so excited that we almost had a thousand downloads in our first month. We were like, wow, there's actually people listening to us. This is amazing. And now, three years later, Denise, we've had 2.4 million downloads of our podcast. That, that's <laughs> just crazy. That blows my mind. We average about 130,000 downloads a month. I can't even believe it. We didn't even crack a thousand in our first. And of course, we have you guys, the listeners, to thank for that. It's not only because you guys are listening, but you share it with your family, you share it with your friends, you share it with your coworkers. Some of you are all listening to it together when you're at work. It's just been amazing. You tweet it, you Instagram it, you Facebook it. It's just been, I don't, there's no way we can thank you all enough. That's for sure. No, and I know it falls under the realm of family, but you also share it with your kids. And that's been really, really fun to have all of our junior spooks running around too. So thank you for bringing your children into our lives as well. And on Apple Podcasts, over 400 of you have left us reviews, which we greatly, greatly appreciate. It takes time and effort and is not necessarily easy to do. So thank you for taking the effort to do that. We want to thank our fellow podcasters. Not only have you guys had us on your shows and shared our show, but you've also come on our show and shared some of your favorite haunted locations and experiences that you've had. And the podcast family and community that's out there is just incredible. And it only seems to be getting better and I just really appreciate all the love that you guys have given to History Goes Bump. And we have produced 224 just regular standard episodes, Denise. That doesn't include the bonus casts, our little Halloween specials, these anniversary specials. 
a road trip shows. That's a lot of shows. And we have over 80 bonus podcasts over at Patreon for everybody. Wow. That's a lot of production. <laughs> no wonder we're tired. <laughs> and you know why that, you know what else that's a lot of? Well, I would say that's a lot of haunted places as well. It is. It's been legends and haunts. And I enjoy doing both of them. Yes, they're so interesting, no matter which direction we end up going. Every time we get interviewed, people ask us, what has been your favorite episode? And I can never answer it because I've loved doing so many of them. And I think it's the same thing for our listeners. When we ask them, what's your favorite? They're like, uh, I'm not really sure. We have met some incredible people, whether it's been on our road trips, whether it's been fellow podcasters, people who are listeners that just email us, and the people that we've interviewed. A lot of them have been our listeners, and then we've interviewed some other experts or authors in different arenas. So it's been so much fun to get to meet all of these different people and hear about all these different places that we haven't been to. People always tell us, well, I've added more to my bucket list of places to go visit, and we've done the same thing. Yes, you would think with all the traveling we've been doing that our bucket list would be getting smaller, but it just keeps getting bigger. I don't think we've made a dent in it. Maybe the old one, but we've added so much that it's uh, larger than it used to be. We have our Spooktacular crew. You guys are amazing. When I first created the Spooktacular crew on Facebook, I thought, I'm going to make this a secret group, and this is only going to be for people who are donating to the show. And then I thought, no, I want to have a place for people to gather who are like us and have similar interests, and we can have a nice little community there. And I had no idea the kind of community that would come out of the Spooktacular crew. You guys are so incredibly welcoming. We never really put out there, hey, you guys, make sure you welcome these people. You guys just did it and you do it. And I just love that we are such a welcoming community. It is a nice respite from what's going on in the world, whether it's Mother Nature striking her vengeance against us and earthquakes and fires and floods and hurricanes, or if it's the politics around the world that is just crazy. The Spooktacular Crew is a place that doesn't have any of that. We can just share our common interests. And it's not all just history and it's not all just spooky stuff. We talk about all different kinds of things in there. We share things about our families. And we recently closed it, which doesn't mean that we're closing ourselves off from the world and don't want you guys to feel welcome coming in. We're just trying to make it a, a safer community for people so they feel like they can share even more about themselves without having to worry about people they don't want to see necessarily some of the things that we're talking about seeing out in the community at large. So if you have not joined the Spooktacular crew, please come and join us. We'd love to have you come there. Doesn't cost you a dime and it's a lot of fun. And of course, the people that are the most special to us are our executive producers. We would not have History Goes Bump without you guys. When you first start a podcast, you are gangbusters excited. You could do this thing 24-7. You could pump out content like crazy. And then reality sets in and you realize, okay, there's not enough hours in the day. I want to do a little something more than just work all the time. <laughs> and the nice thing about having people who give to the show monetarily is it not only helps to pay for all of the overhead that the show costs because it's not free to podcast, but it also helps pay for our time too. Any of you that are current executive producers, have been executive producers, you've sent us a one-time donation, or you've bought something in our emporium, thank you, thank you, thank you. Every single dollar has meant something to us. We never are flippant about anything that you've given to us. We know that if you are giving us your hard-earned money, that that means something, and it means something to us. 
We are one of the few podcasts out there that are dedicated to staying listener supported. There are hardly any podcasts you will find getting the level of downloads that we get that aren't running ads. And part of it is, frankly, I'm not interested in selling you underwear, mattresses, or food. (laughs) I'm here to sell you on haunted history. Because you guys are so special to us, we are always seeking new ways to improve our rewards that we give to you. And we really want to make sure that you guys know that you are number one. And I know that there are some of you that even giving a dollar is just asking too much. But we also want to make sure we're really taking care of the people who are taking care of us. And some of you are doing it at a very high level. So not only are all the rewards staying where they are, but we are adding some stuff. When people have given at a dollar or more, we were doing virtual meetups once a month. And we lost the platform that we were doing that on, which wasn't cheap to begin with. And every other platform that I found has been even more expensive than that. So we were trying to find a way that we could do this cheaper. And I know that YouTube, I believe you can do live streaming. And I don't think it costs anything. But I wanted to find something that was easy, that we could do spontaneous. And the real answer is Facebook live streaming. It's the best way to do that. And it gives us an opportunity to do it more than just once a month. We can do on the fly when we're at a haunted location. We can set up a Q&A. We can go for a long period of time. It doesn't matter how many people want to come in and chat with us. There's not a limit. Or if you get over 100 people, then they start charging you per head. And it's amazing what some of these live streaming services charge. But if we put it up on Facebook, everybody can see it. Unless it's in a secret group. We're starting the Losers Club. Yes, just like the kids from the book and the movie It or Stranger Things. And we can be found in the upside down of Facebook. How do you find the gate to this upside down? Well, if you sign up for a dollar or more a month on Patreon or PayPal, we will show you the way. We'll be sharing special things in there, special events. You guys will help us decide what we're going to do for future episodes. We'll have the live streaming chats in there. You'll have even more special access to us. But we also are going to be doing drawings for you guys in there. And this isn't just for History Ghost Bump swag. This is going to be for other things. Maybe it might be some Disney Halloween type of decor or something else that you guys would be interested in that isn't necessarily something to do with the podcast and our logo and all of that kind of stuff. So you guys will be entered in to those special drawings and we'll do those every so often. So as long as you are one of our executive producers, you're in for those. Doesn't matter at whatever level you are at. It's just going to be a very cool club that everybody will want to be a part of. And it only costs you a dollar a month. If you're not on Facebook, I highly encourage you to at least open an account so you can just become part of the Insiders. Plus, we want you in the Spooktacular crew. We will be sending out invites to all of you so that you can find where we're at and we will bring you in. If you have not received an invite by the first week in October... First, check your account and make sure that you're not delinquent because that for some reason, PayPal and Patreon sometimes don't communicate really well or your card is expired and you haven't updated your information. But we have a handful of people that have been in decline for several months. So we're not going to be inviting you in until you get that cleared up. So check that out. If everything looks fine, then message us. Maybe we missed you somehow and we'll make sure we get you in there. So that's a new thing. And that's for anybody at the a dollar above level that we're going to be adding to our rewards. You guys know I am always going down all these little side projects and I have so much fun with things. We already have Haunted True Crime as one of our bonus episodes that we provide to our executive producers. And that's because I love true crime. And I thought what an interesting take to have ghosts involved. 
We have also been doing our bonus cast, which could incorporate all different kinds of things. Outtakes from the show, behind the scenes, extras from interviews, haunted locations that wouldn't fill up a whole episode, Denise's haunted animals. She's wanting to work on some haunted lighthouses. So you get that on all the bonus casts. And then it's no secret, obviously, I love cemeteries. And not just haunted cemeteries, I love all cemeteries. So I'm starting a new bonus cast called Stones and Bones. And this is going to be about cemeteries all over the world that don't have hauntings going on, but that I find interesting or have interesting people buried there. And I'll be sharing them on that. So our executive producers will be getting that. When you join, you get access to all of the back episodes. And right now we have over 80 of them. So if you've binged all 224 episodes that we've done and you're like, I need more, there's 80 more sitting right there. They're not as long as the main feed, but they are something extra. And all of them are very good. And there's really something there for everyone. You may not like true crime, might creep you out, might scare you too much. Maybe you're not interested in some of the other bonus casts that we've done, but there's a whole variety in those bonus casts too for you to choose from. And if you're into cemeteries, now we've got this for you as well. So hope you executive producers really enjoy that. And if you've ever been thinking about giving to the podcast, this would be a great time to start. If you just click on the support the show tab over at historygoesbump.com, you go down to the bottom of the page and it'll tell you how you can either get it on PayPal or set it up over on Patreon. Either one of them works for us and we greatly appreciate it. You guys are the reason why we've been able to keep this podcast ad free. And that is something I wear with pride. I am so happy about it. And it's nothing against any of the other podcasts out there. I know you got to do what you got to do. I just, I can't imagine filling up my podcast with ads from companies that I could give a crap about, frankly. So we just really want, since our executive producers are the ones that help us produce the show by giving, we just want to bring you more into the inner circle. We love all of our listeners, but we just want to be able to add that for the people that are financially supporting the show. Hello, this is Victoria from victoriaslift.com. When I'm not taking those who must choose their destiny for a ride on the lift, I'm listening to History Goes Bump podcast. History isn't boring, it's terrifying. The past remains with us, and so do its spirits. Can you hear them calling? They want you to know their stories. Listen now to their voices and the truth from the past. Now for the meat of the show. You guys know last year we did our flash fiction contest, and we did it again this year because it was so successful last year. We had 16 of you enter the contest. And we got some phenomenal stories. It was very hard for us to pick our three winners. Extremely hard this time. There were so many that, I mean, it was just by hairs that we made the decisions. We want to thank those of you who contributed your stories. Katrina Ray Salas, Emily Reidner, Paige Strong, Rhonda Borgen, Leslie Pollock, Stephen Pappas, Liz Evans, Ginger Strusel, Lindsay Otto, Savannah Perky, Sarah F. Gunther, Laura Jovog, Andrea Ward, Anjanette Beth, and Natalia Rooks. So we're going to share the two runners up and then the three winners. Anybody who isn't one of those five, we're putting those all over to our Christmas Eve special, and we will be reading those around the campfire in our backyard. So if you wrote something, you will probably hear it in the Christmas Eve episode if you don't hear it on this one. And then after we do that, 
It's October 1st, so we have a little something, you know, a holiday coming up. Which might be Halloween? Yes. So we thought it would be a lot of fun to bring on Miranda Enzor, who is the founder of the Spooky Little Halloween blog, and she is going to talk to us about Halloween craft ideas, getting a Halloween party set up, some of her memories of Halloween. We're just going to talk all things Halloween to get you guys inspired and excited like you really need it, but it will just start getting us warmed up for Halloween. So we're going to add that in at the end of the show. So it should be just, I'm really looking forward to sharing all that with you guys. So our first runner up story that we want to share is by Rhonda Borgen and it's called The Golem of Prague. Dear Charlotte, I hope you'll forgive me for neglecting to write. Lately, I've been unable to do much more than the necessities of keeping myself alive. I think of Henry constantly and try to distract myself by wandering these medieval streets. But the sight of so many lovers strolling hand in hand just makes me feel ill and angry. I know I'm just wallowing in misery, but can't seem to help myself. To have him taken from me so soon and in such a fashion, I can't sleep because of the nightmares. When I eat, I can't taste my food. Honestly, I've been in an unhappy fog that never seems to lift. How dismal this letter sounds. Maybe I won't send it but the act of writing seems to help somehow. That's why I've kept away from you and everyone else. I'm not good company right now, but I hope in time that may change. Now that I've unburdened myself, I'll tell you what happened to me last night. I can't make sense of it, but I pray the mystery may soon be solved. It's been my custom to try to sleep during the day, then go out at night when there are less people on the streets. Henry and I used to love the town square. We'd sit on a bench with cups of hot wine, listen to the street performers, and watch children chase each other around. To think I'll never sit by his side again. Well, last night the square was almost empty, so I made my way to our favorite bench. The weather's turned quite cold, and my scarf was covering most of my face with only my eyes peeping out. I saw something gleaming on the cobblestones and went to investigate. A long metallic line gleamed dully on the cobblestones. On closer inspection, I realized it was the brass meridian line which the citizens of the city once used to tell the time. There is the magnificent astronomical clock just around the corner, of course, and I've often felt that Prague has a particular obsession with time, telling time, stopping time, predicting what may happen in time. But I digress. I saw a movement in the shadows which made my heart skip a beat. To my tired eyes, it looked like a very tall, bulky figure, but was obviously something much more, or less, than human. It moved clumsily, walking as if it had just learned how. My first thought was Frankenstein's monster, but I rubbed my eyes, thinking I must be so exhausted I'd started hallucinating. When I looked again, the creature had vanished. After that, I headed back to my apartment, much shaken but determined to get a healthy amount of sleep for once. Now, as I write, it's almost nightfall again, and I'm determined to go back to the square, for you see, I had a dream last night. Henry appeared, and he told me I must return. His voice was so clear, so imploring. Could he be trying to reach me from beyond? Perhaps he wants to lead me to that which killed him. If only I knew why he died, I might find peace. Something has been nagging at me since I awoke. A piece of the dream I forgot. Dearest sister, I will write you again soon. I feel that something is on the horizon. Something wonderful, perhaps. Yet still, I feel such dread. With love, Rachel. San Francisco. Three days later. Charlotte Mitchell picks up the phone. Hello? A man with a heavy Eastern European accent replies. Is this Miss Mitchell, sister of Rachel Dobek? Yes, she answers, her voice catching. This is Officer Zelenka. I regret to inform you that your sister has been found deceased. 
Charlotte could barely get the next words out. Her throat had suddenly gotten painfully tight. How? She managed to croak. She was found in the same manner as her husband six months prior, the officer said, lying at the base of the clock tower, frozen, with a clay tablet in her mouth. Rachel's body arrived in San Francisco the same day as her letter. Charlotte requested to see her sister one last time before she was laid to rest. When the coffin was opened, she saw not her beloved Rachel, but a hideous sleeping figure made entirely of clay. And then, ever so slowly, its eyes opened. Ooh, that was creepy. I'm never going to look at clay the same again. Thank you so much for sharing your talent with us, Rhonda. We appreciate that. Our next runner-up is a story by Liz Evans, and it is titled, If You Really Want It. There were always just the three of us, me, Alice, and Gary Barton. Whereas me and Alice are people, Gary Barton is a ghost. It was always Gary Barton, not just Gary or not just Mr. Barton. His name was Gary Barton, one run on word, all strung together and very formal. My family always said that Gary Barton wasn't real, but I knew he was. He had always been there, waiting in the corner of the room. Alice refused to talk to him. He was a stranger, and as a stranger, not only should he not be there, but we should not talk to him at all. But I did. We ate together, we played together, and we slept together. He was much older than us, but that didn't seem to make a difference. He was just happy to be seen. We'd often converge in the woods to run through the trees and dance in the meadow, our bare feet squishing in the thick green grass. As we got older, Alice decided that she didn't want to see him anymore. Gary Barton was not real. Ghosts did not exist. I was full of lies, and we couldn't be friends anymore. But we were still sisters. She moved out of my room that year. It was like something inside her shut off, and to her, he was gone, like an imaginary friend that you didn't need anymore. I never asked, but I'm pretty sure she never saw him again. I hated going to school, leaving him behind. His world stopped at the edge of our property, and I would watch him from the school bus window as I drove away every day. We had a lot of discussions in our house about what was real or not real, but I already knew it was them that were wrong. Once in a while, I'd make my mom cry as she would ask why I didn't have any real friends. The truth was that I didn't want them. I knew that Gary Barton would always listen to me and be there when I arrived home. He was the perfect friend. Gary Barton tried to warn me the day Alice died. He said she'd see him that day, but I laughed and said she wouldn't. That was just before she fell from the roof and broke her neck. I stood next to her body and waited to see if I'd see her too, but Gary Barton just shook his head and said she'd chosen poorly. When I cried, he gently touched my cheek and said I'd be fine, but I wasn't. Alice hadn't spoken to me for years because of Gary Barton. I think she hated me because of him. Whether it was because I still saw him and she didn't, or because I was still foolishly hanging on to a childhood fantasy, I'd never know now. Years passed since then. I never left home. I wanted to be with Gary Barton. My parents urged me to date and have friends, so I did, but they all involved Gary Barton. Gary Barton and I would walk to the edge of the creek and watch the sun go down. Then he'd smooth my hair back from my face and I'd close my eyes and he would take me dancing. His memories would tumble through my head. Christmases next to roaring fires. Dances where girls in bright dresses and ribbons swirled past in intricate patterns. He'd take me on carriage rides to silent pictures and peaceful gardens. These were our dates, and each night he'd lean in to kiss me, 
But the moment before our lips would touch, he would pull away and tell me that this was for another night. For my 21st birthday, my parents took me away from Gary Barton. They introduced me to Dr. Brown and they left me in his care. I snuck out the window, though, and walked home. Gary Barton met me halfway. How are you here? I had asked him, and his reply was that he wasn't here, rather I was there. He took my hand and leaned in close. I closed my eyes as his lips finally touched mine. He felt more solid than I could ever remember and so much more real than I had imagined. Dance with me, he said. And with my eyes closed, I put my free hand on his shoulder and we finally joined the swirling girls together. Well, that Gary Barton didn't sound like such a bad ghost, Denise. Not at all. So much for an imaginary friend, too. (laughs) (laughs) So if your child has an imaginary friend, be worried. No, just kidding. Our third place winner is going to be receiving a third place medal and a t-shirt with their choice of any design from out of the Emporium. And our third place winner was Laura Jovog. And her story is The Walk Home. I'm not superstitious. My mama didn't raise me to believe in ghosts. So it was months after I started walking past the graveyard on the way home from work at 2 a.m. that I even thought about it. To me, That place is just a quiet spot in the city along a busy road, only two blocks away from my apartment. Sometimes I wished I lived next to it because it's so quiet. I don't even know why I looked over into the graveyard that first time. It was just a glance, I guess. The place was locked up good with a nice high fence you can see right through, spiky iron bars with fancy bits on top. Nobody bothered to go in there at night. But I was walking home and the traffic was light and I glanced over and saw, in the moonlight, someone standing there. It was only a glance, but I felt like there was something wrong. I didn't look back, just hurried up my pace a bit and thanked God for the few cars that screamed past. I wasn't afraid, but something shimmied up my spine and told me that person shouldn't have been there. I slept fine that night and I wasn't thinking about it the next day. As I headed to the bus stop to go to work that afternoon, I glanced at the spot I'd seen the figure. Nothing there. I'd half wondered if it was a new statue I just hadn't noticed, but no. I dismissed it and hurried on. That night when I got off the bus, I wished again for more stops on this route but the next stop after mine was almost a mile on from my place. The walk past the graveyard was less than a half mile, and so was the logical spot to get off. That night, I nearly stayed on the bus. Good sense took over. I was already tired enough, and I watched the bus grumble off up the road as I started the walk home. You know, when you say you aren't going to think of something, that's what you think about? I couldn't get my mind off the person standing in the graveyard, and though I tried really hard not to look, I kept glancing that way. When I got close to the spot I'd seen the figure before, the headlights of a car blinded me momentarily, but then I blinked and glanced over again. There was someone standing in the graveyard. I pulled my eyes away even as something deep inside was screaming, that's not right. I stumbled a little on the uneven sidewalk. Something had been deeply flawed about that figure, so I turned to look again. It was gone. I didn't run. I can't run after a full shift at work, but I walked mighty fast, grateful for every car that zoomed past. I was even grateful for the guys sitting out near the street at my apartment, sharing smokes and stories. Usually I avoided them and felt slightly threatened by them, but that night they were a solid presence in what seemed to be a suddenly strange world. The next few weeks were a bit of a blur as I continued to work and most nights got off at my usual stop. Sometimes I couldn't bear it and went to the next stop. The bus driver seemed concerned, but he didn't ask and I wasn't going to tell him I was afraid of the graveyard. I saw the figure a few more times, and every time I felt the urge to scream about the wrongness of it. Then one afternoon on my way to work, I saw a canopy in the same spot I usually saw the figure. A grave was being dug. 
I felt nervous, like it had significance, and I just didn't understand it. Coming home later, I didn't feel any fear of the graveyard at all. The canopy was still there when I walked past, but I felt nothing. My curiosity got the best of me, and I went to the graveyard later that day. I was going to ask about the grave, but when I went to the office, there was a procession, and I didn't want to interrupt. I was glad I was wearing black, and I followed along as a group of mourners went to the open grave I'd seen, and the casket was lowered. I stayed back, but close enough to hear some of the speeches about the brave young man fighting so long for his life. A firefighter, he'd been burned badly. I remembered a story from the newspaper. He had finally succumbed to the injuries after a month of struggle. I shed tears for him. Firefighters are good people. As the mourners drifted away, a woman approached me. Did you know him? She asked. No, ma'am, I said. I just felt I ought to come. We didn't announce it, she said with a frown. I felt a little spike of cold go through me. I saw the canopy and I just felt I needed to see this funeral, I said looking down. She stared at me as if sizing me up. Then she spoke very, very softly. Did you see him here? She asked. I had to work up the courage to answer, but I managed. It felt like the bravest thing I'd ever done. Yes, ma'am. I think I did, I said just as softly. My brother said he saw his grave, she said. I thought it was a metaphor, but he said he stood over it and looked at it and decided it was going to be okay. I thought it was the painkillers talking, but he checked it out, didn't he? He always checked out the places he was going to. To my surprise, she reached out and gave me a hug. I hugged back. Both of us were crying a bit. She thanked me before she left as if my presence was actually something that eased her pain. I stood for a few more minutes before heading home. I haven't seen the figure since. The graveyard is just my quiet neighbor again. I really like that story, Denise, because it was scary, but it also was very endearing towards the end to hear that here was this firefighter who basically gave his life, probably saving somebody, and he went to go check out his grave. Yes, I really like that story a lot. Our second place winner is going to receive a medal and a long sleeve t-shirt in their choice of design from the Emporium. And the winner is Ginger Strusel, and her story is... The Attic. Lisa awoke, her heart pounding. Her vision swam, her mind fuzzy. It was rare that anything stirred her after she pulled an all-nighter. What had woken her? She craned her neck, trying to see where the sound had come from, but she couldn't move. The creaking continued, and Lisa finally saw the attic door yawning open. It stretched like the mouth of some great beast, a terrifying maw that threatened to devour her. Something inky and dark oozed down from the attic, forming an arcane approximation of head and shoulders as it descended. Its orange eyes crackled with hellish fire. Lisa's breath caught, and then it turned its brimstone eyes on her. Lisa shot up in bed. She panted, slick with sweat. Just a dream. It was the same dream she'd been having all week. She pressed a hand over her heart to calm herself. Went the front door. Crap, she wasn't supposed to nap this long. Standing on Lisa's front porch, Freddie was an angel in braids and tattered jeans. She held up smiling bags from their favorite Chinese restaurant and a bottle of wine. Lisa ushered her in, still shaken, and they settled in to celebrate. To meeting deadlines, Freddie said, clinking her glass against Lisa's. Barely. Lisa took a gulp of wine and dug into her box of noodles. It wasn't long before they caught up on the normal gossip. 
Over fortune cookies and second glasses of wine, Freddie broached the subject of whether Lisa's new house was haunted. Hearing weird noises doesn't mean I have a ghost, Lisa said through a mouthful of cookie. It's an old house with rats in the attic. It's creepy, but it isn't haunted. Freddie was skeptical. Let's find out. We can do some ghost hunting. There's this app called Haunter. Freddie's wide grin lit up her face. Is that like Tinder for ghosts? Lisa couldn't believe what was on the app store these days. It's a ghost box app, Freddie said. Let's try it out. Lisa glared at her phone. Freddie turned the lights off and rejoined her on the couch. Open the app, Freddie said. Lisa did. A radar showed a single green dot in the upper left quadrant. Ghost detected blinked at the bottom of the screen. This is the cheesiest thing I've ever seen. Lisa tried to ignore the unsettling green dot. Freddie laughed. Click communicate. Maybe we can talk to this ghost. Lisa tapped the dot, pulling up the ghost profile. This is so fake. She rolled her eyes. George Burns died of a heart attack in 1892. He weighs zero pounds because he's a ghost and likes long walks on the beach. Freddie snorted. I'm talking to him. She stole Lisa's phone. This app translates messages from the living into ghost speak. Her face glowed green, lit by the eerie light of the Haunter app. She pressed record. Hello, George. How are you? Lisa snatched her phone back. Don't swipe right on a ghost, Lisa huffed. She nibbled a hangnail and stared at the screen. When 10 seconds passed and nothing happened, she breathed again. This is ridiculous. There aren't ghosts in my house, just creaky floors and a basement full of spiders. Then the phone speakers blared. Attic. The app hissed. Freddy shrieked happily. Lisa whimpered. Why do these things always have creepy voices? Why can't Siri deliver ghostly messages instead? Siri would be creepier. Freddy slid off the couch and pulled Lisa along. Come on, we need to check out the attic. Lisa's heart thudded in her chest. Are you crazy? A ghost tells you to go into the attic and you want to do it? She was convinced Freddie was going to get them both killed. Freddie patted her shoulder and steered her out of the living room, using the phone flashlight to guide them. Don't worry, ghosts can't hurt you. Don't say that in front of a ghost. Lisa didn't want to give George a challenge. She also didn't want to walk down the hall to where the attic was, but Freddie urged her forward. She clenched her fist, her body as tense as a bear trap. She was ready to spring at the first sign of a murderous ghost. Static popped, and Lisa grabbed Freddie's arm. Unfazed, Freddie recorded another message. What about the attic, George? Is there something that belongs to you up there? Lisa stared straight ahead as they shuffled forward. They passed the bathroom, where a peek at some otherworldly horror in the mirror would stop her heart. She ignored the kitchen, where the ghost of takeout and wine haunted the granite counters and ancient oak cabinets. The study, too. Who knew what might be lurking there, crouched under her desk. The app crackled and boomed. Lisa screamed and jumped a foot in the air. You've got to chill, babe. Freddie patted Lisa's back with a laugh and tried again. Sorry, George. What's in the attic? Static shushed them as they reached the bedroom door. Lisa stared at the ominous attic looming above them, accessible only by a pull string. She had always thought attics were creepy, gross, and hot places for Christmas decorations and rats. 
but not people. George, Freddie tried again. We're about to go to the attic. What will we find up there? Christmas mice? Freddie laughed at her own joke. Just boxes and dust, Lisa said, willing herself to believe it. Her heart stuttered, trying to beat out of her chest like a hummingbird's wings. He probably wishes I'd take better care of the attic. I'm sorry, George, but I'm not going up there. It's terrifying, she wanted to say, but the words died in her throat. George's voice boomed again, as harsh and staccato as machine gun bullets. It lives in the attic. Freddie dropped the phone, her eyes wide and her mouth agape. Lisa swallowed a scream, and the attic door opened with a long... That was such a creepy story, and I had a blast getting to use my sound effects. So thank you for throwing so many of those in there, Ginger. And a little drum roll, please. Our first place winner is going to be receiving a medal and a hoodie sweatshirt in their choice of design from the Emporium. And our first place winner is Anjanette Beth and her story, Half Born. sat on the window seat staring at the bleak landscape. The world was monochrome with ashen snow, pewter cityscape, and ironclad sky. Although the vista mirrored her mood, she barely saw it from her apartment window. With shoulders slumped in defeat, her mind turned inward. You can't do anything right, Cora told herself. Cora reflected on her lack of belonging. Friends were fleeting, her parents abandoned her to the psychiatrists and social workers many years ago. I try so hard, but it only gets worse, Cora stated. Every few years of her life, a new diagnosis was given. Each supposed triumph was followed by another psychosis. First, it was an imaginary friend. Next came the scratches. Cora remembered telling her parents that it was a poltergeist. There were no witnesses. Everyone else said it was self-mutilation. Part of her remembered the attacks. Part of her remembered doing it to herself. Her parents only got the priest to perform an exorcism to appease her. Cora still didn't know which memory was true. Many had told her that her mismatched eyes were a bad omen. Maybe I'm cursed. A tear ran down her cheek. She was too hollow for more tears. At the third stage of her curse, she started hearing a girl's voice in her head. The girl was bitter and taunting. Each time they spoke, her ability to resist it was chipped away until she was a small, loaded die. Only medicine could keep the voice at bay. Then, she started losing time. First, it was only an hour here and there. She'd wake up in strange places. Strangers called her phone spouting strange tales of things that she'd done. She didn't remember these events. Her credit card showed payments for strange purchases. Deliveries arrived with things that did not fit her personality. Skimpy clothing, adult novelties, and some things that were probably illegal. She even found a tattoo on the small of her back. Cora ignored the calls, threw away the strange purchases, and hid the tramp stamp from view. She hoped that everything would just go away if she ignored it. She'd always felt broken and lost, but today, she felt shattered. The pregnancy test result was positive. Yet she'd never slept with anyone. Not that she remembered. She wasn't that kind of girl. What's wrong with me? Cora shook her head. I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. 
In her mind's eye, she saw a gaping chasm before her. The siren call of oblivion sang silently to her soul from the abyss. Only oblivion could end the chaos, stop the pain, end the nightmare that was her life. No one loved her. No one would miss her. Maybe this was a nightmare, an evil dream. Maybe that chasm would wake her up. Yes, she said to herself, it's the only way. Her shoulders straightened resolutely. She stood and walked to the stairwell in a trance. Her bare feet made soft slaps against the cold concrete steps. She followed the stairs up, 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 toward her Stygian hope. When opening the final door, the wind whipped her chestnut hair around her face. Her nightgown pulled taut against her frame. The frigid air gave her goose flesh, but it went unnoticed. An onlooker might have thought she was a banshee. Cora's steps took her steadily across the roof of the building. She hiked her nightgown above her knees and climbed onto the short wall. The abyss was there before her, promising oblivion. Without hesitation, she jumped. No sound escaped her mouth as she fell. The air rushed around her, making it hard to breathe, making it hard to look. In one eternal moment, she heard and felt the impact. The physical pain ended, but oblivion did not come. Her body lay there broken, yet she still existed. It was then that she noticed a woman standing next to her with a dark and triumphant smile. Who are you? Cora asked. Are you here to take me to heaven? The woman's eyebrows arched in amusement. I'm your sister, Tawny. Cora blinked. The name sounded vaguely familiar. I don't have a sister. Tawny scoffed. I was your twin. Twin? Cora questioned. They did not look the same. Tawny's eyes were both dark brown and her hair was blonde. Fraternal twins. But my embryo was absorbed into yours. Cora thought this relationship should have been comforting, but there was a dark edge to Tawny's voice. Tawny continued and her tone became pitch. I tried to play with you as a child, but you ignored me. I tried to get your attention, but you had me exercised. I tried talking to you, but you drowned me out with medicine. Each accusation became a weight on Cora's shoulders. She froze. Tawny stepped closer, her nose nearly touching Cora's. Tawny's voice dropped down to a whisper, dripping with malice. Your brown eye was supposed to be mine. You stole my life, so I stole some of it back. I lived your missing days to the fullest. I did everything you were too afraid to do. I binged on every physical pleasure. With fondness, Tawny concluded... I enjoyed every minute of it. Cora's knees gave out and she collapsed on the ground. Tawny loomed above her. Cora's world imploded. What have I done? You can't ignore me now. We're stuck with each other. I've damned my soul with my actions. Now you've damned your own by killing yourself and murdering the unborn child. It was only in death that the sisters could truly separate... However, their actions confine them to the same fate in the afterlife. They now haunt the apartment building. A lady in white and a shadow figure forever battling each other. 
Cora is protecting those living in the building from the torment of her half-born sister. That that was also a great story and extremely creative. I did not see that one coming at all. Now, Denise, I, I felt a little bad that we had all female winners because I didn't want it to look like we were playing some favoritism towards the girls just because we happened to be girls. I guess it could appear to look that way, but it's hard to not go that way when we only had one boy enter. Only one male entered the writing contest. So guys, next year... You need to hone up on your grammar and get your entries in. Yes, we want your fiction next year. All right, boys? Or men, in case we were to offend anybody by calling you boy. (laughs) Well, I was calling us girls. It's the 12-year-old inside of me talking. Oh, okay. All right, now we have a fun interview with Miranda Enzor of Spooky Little Halloween. Hope you guys really enjoy this. We had a great time talking to her. All right. Well, we are very excited to be joined by Miranda Enzor. She describes herself as a Halloween lover, a killer party planner. She's addicted to pumpkin guts, witch's brew, to die for costumes, skulls, and all things spooky. So, Denise, I think she's perfect for History Goes Bump and our listeners. Oh, most definitely perfect. How are you, Miranda? I'm good. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so excited to come and chat about Halloween. Well, I have been following your blog. You are a writer and a blogger, and your blog is called Spooky Little Halloween. And I think I've been following it almost from the time that you started it. Why don't you share with everybody a little bit about what made you start the blog? Oh, man, pretty much because I was obsessed with Halloween and I needed an outlet for it. (laughs) So I got started almost actually about two years ago in 2015, like mid-September. I was cleaning up a personal Pinterest board of Halloween stuff I had saved and just decided I needed to organize it better because there were too many things there. And I started doing that and kind of in the back of my mind for a while, I had had this thought of, it'd be fun to have a Halloween blog. Like people could do that year round, right? And I had my own little hobby blog about music at the time. And it just kind of, I was sitting there in the middle of all these Pinterest boards, which sounds so silly. I just thought, that's it. I'm done. This all needs to go to a Halloween blog. And that's just kind of how it got started. Here I am two years later. I'm not surprised that Pinterest inspired you because I'll be watching a lot of stuff on Pinterest too and going, I should make that. And it, it is very inspiring to be over there, especially for Halloween type stuff. For sure. There is so much stuff out there. And it's just the further down kind of in that rabbit hole you get, the cooler stuff you find. It's it's a lot of fun. Well, what started your love with Halloween to begin with? You know, it's funny. For as much as I love Halloween, I can't pinpoint like a single moment where I'm like, yes, that was it. That's the moment I fell in love with Halloween. It just kind of was always a general love. I remember being a kid growing up and a lot of my costumes I did, I always wanted to create my own. So it was really enjoyable coming up with that and kind of piecing it together from stuff with my in my closet and then stuff that we bought and just kind of, you know, Frankensteining these really cool costumes together. And as I as I got older, it just it, I don't know, it's kind of always been a creative outlet for me. I've also really always enjoyed I guess it's the writer brain, but I've always enjoyed the chance to be somebody else for a day. So I think that's definitely a piece of Halloween that appeals to me as well, dressing up like someone else. 
I think that appeals to a lot of people. And talking about your childhood there, I think that's why I love Halloween so much because I have so many great memories that go back to my childhood. And so every Halloween, when it comes back again, it just feels like you're a kid again. For sure. I agree with that completely. So I have to ask you, what is your favorite Halloween candy? Uh, Absolute favorite candy is sweet tarts. I used to, I would collect as many as I could out of my trick-or-treat bag. And then I would sort out everything by the types of candy that I had gotten. And I would take like all the chocolate bars that everybody else wanted. And I would trade the chocolate bars for sweet tarts. And like we used to sit and make deals and like I'll give you one Snickers for three sweet tarts. And I I remember the one year that I got the most, it was like two or three hundred packets of sweet tarts. And I'm pretty sure it took me till like Easter to eat them all. But I just was so proud of myself that I had amassed so much of my favorite candy that year. That is a very, very good choice. You are a wise woman. Thank you. (laughs) Denise is the same way. I always call it the junk candy. And she's like, that's my favorite. No way. It's the best. (laughs) (laughs) Since you're into Halloween, do you like horror movies? I mean, those two things don't necessarily go together. So I really appreciate that you acknowledge that because... The the moment I tell people I have a Halloween blog, they're like, oh, okay, what's your favorite horror movie? And I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm not that kind of Halloween person. So hopefully that won't be too much of a disappointment to people who do love horror. Um, and I definitely appreciate it and recognize its place kind of in the greater scheme of Halloween. It's just, it's never been my thing. I'm slowly getting up to speed on a lot of classic horror movies. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this. I'll be, I'm 33 now and I just saw Halloween for the first time last year. <laughs> so I don't, Blood and Guts is just not my thing. So I kind of steer clear of a lot of more modern horror movies. I'm finding that the 70s horror movies are kind of my niche. I really love Amityville Horror, the original one. Outside of that, it's just I, I like suspense and mystery. So if there's a horror-ish movie that has that kind of stuff, I'm into it. I I'm think just... you and Denise were separated at birth. Yes, <laughs> yes, sweetheart. Don't like horror, Blood and Guts. But I am kind of giggling that you're calling Halloween a classic horror, horror movie. I'm thinking, oh, Dracula, you know, Frankenstein. I'm like, oh, okay, so Halloween, which came out when I was already babysitting like kids over the night and over weekends. Okay. My millennial status is showing. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I know. I was thinking Dracula. I know, me too. And then she's like, Halloween. I'm like, oh, that but you came know, out when I, I had already graduated college, I but, think. But Halloween is a classic. When you come into the 70s, those really are a lot of the classic horror movies. And really, I wish a lot of our horror movies nowadays would go back to that because, like you said, I'm not into the blood and guts either. I like the suspense. I want you to really scare me, not gross me out. Scare me. Yep. Yep. I agree completely. Well, and that's, I think, what happened to me. The one Halloween, we used to traditionally watch horror movies. That was the only day of the year I really cared to. Um, was on actual October 31st and we'd watch some movie and I was physically almost ill. I'm like, no, I'm done. Oh, Hellraiser. Yeah, yeah, I did not like that one. I'm even like that with medical shows, like some of the current medical shows that are on. They get too much in the weeds with like the surgeries and stuff. And I'm just, oh, my stomach turns. And yeah, I just I just don't want to do it to myself. So see, I can do those kind of blood and guts. I love watching life surgeries or I wouldn't mind being in there assisting or anything like that. That doesn't bother me. It's just horror that bothers me, like the fake stuff. Well, it's funny, too, because people will say, but you know, it's all fake, right? And I'm like, I know. But again, that writer brain, like it just flips on and it's too believable. And I just can't do it. I actually I've tried really hard with American Horror Story to watch that. And I I do like the first season, the Murder House season and then the Coven. I love the Coven season, Blood and Guts aside. 
but I got like two thirds of the way through that second season and I was having nightmares about, I think his name was Bloody Face was like the villain that season that was killing everybody and had a really, really vivid dream. And I just, I, I just decided, nope, done, can't do this show anymore. So. Yeah, unfortunately, as it's gone along, it has gotten more blood and guts. And then the the sex for me has just been kind of over the top. So I haven't enjoyed it as much as in the beginning myself either. Well, your blog, it basically covers everything about Halloween. It's not just costumes. It's not just decorations. You've got recipes, playlists, all kinds of DIY stuff. And we have a lot of creators and crafters in our listenership. So I know they're going to love that part about it. Why don't we start off with you telling a little bit about your recipes? Where do you get these and do you have a favorite one? Yes, a lot of the recipes that I have up on the site right now are either some of my favorite recipes just really from like the Halloween season over the years or they're specific items that either I've made for parties in the past couple of years or that my friends have made and I've kind of modified the recipe a little bit to make it my own. I think my very favorite thing that's up there right now is my mom's pumpkin bread recipe. She makes that every fall. She actually bakes it and she'll make like four loaves at a time and stick it in the freezer so we kind of have it all fall and she can pull it out at a moment's notice. But to me, it just, anytime I bite into a slice of that, it just, I feel like fall is officially here. So that, if you search mom's pumpkin bread, that's on the website. That's probably my favorite recipe that's up there right now. So a question, you said that fall's officially here once you bite into that pumpkin bread. Are you, do you allow yourself to have it any other time besides the fall? I kind of go back and forth. So actually, when I posted that recipe, I think it was like February or March. And then I was like, well, I have an entire loaf. I obviously need to eat it now. So it kind of was like a mini fall, you know, in the middle of winter and early spring here in Texas. But for the most part, I do kind of try to keep my pumpkin eating seasonal so that it feels a little bit more special. You know, for somebody who does Halloween year round on a blog, I will say I think there's a lot of value in as much as I love Halloween every day and that kind of mindset, I think there's a lot of value and it just makes it more special when you really truly have one day or a a month or a certain time period where you're celebrating something that you love so much. I would agree 100%. Yeah, this is Denise who won't let me have, because, you know, they have the turkey holiday sandwiches around in November. Yes. and Well, they started having them at, uh, what's it, Earl of Sandwich? Earl of Sandwich at Disney Well, they Springs. decided everybody loves them, so we're going to do it all year round now. And Denise is like, no, you cannot have one until it's fall. <laughs> <laughs> so we go to Earl of Sandwich all the time during, like, the summer and stuff, but that sandwich is off limits until fall. Because it's, it's the official fall. Like that's when once when Starbucks has pumpkin spice, then then holiday sandwiches are legal. I like that. You know, I've noticed this year as I've been doing my Halloween hunting for different decor and stores, it seems like everybody is putting out their Christmas along with their Halloween. And, you know, I'm the crazy girl who was searching the stores for Halloween back at the end of June, beginning of July. So I feel like I have no room to comment anymore about those Christmas people, as I used to call them. But I did see the other day, it kind of stunned me. Subway actually has a Thanksgiving themed sandwich. It has like a cranberry mustard of some sort and turkey and I don't even remember what else. But I'm like, it's, you know, you know, guys, it's only September. You're already marketing Thanksgiving too. It seems a little early, but I guess to each their own. Yeah, I saw that the other day too. And I thought the same thing and they have like cheddar cheese on it. And I went, no, you can't put that on that. <laughs> cheddar cheese? Yeah, I don't know where they got that idea from, but I'm like, you just killed the sandwich with that. I could do the cranberry mustard sauce thing maybe, but the, the cheese yeah, did it for me. 
the cranberries what did it for me. I'm I'm picky about my cranberries. So gotcha. <laughs> well, you have lots of playlists that you put on here. I really loved the blog post that you had about the 50 plus covers of Monster Mash. I mean, everybody loves Monster Mash. I had no idea there were that many covers of it out there. And that's like the insane part is that is like barely scratching the surface. That's just the point where I got tired of scrolling through all the choices on Spotify looking for options. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's crazy. So it was a lot of fun listening to those. And it's amazing to me. It was amazing how many of the covers actually stick to the classic version. Nearly every single one had like the cauldron bubbling in the beginning, like the the Mm -hmm. Bobby Pickett's version does. And it just I don't know, it it tickled me how many people really stuck to the original because so often bands take take other people's music and kind of they want to make it their own, which I totally respect and get. But I don't know, it just I, I found that little detail in all those songs so interesting and fun. What inspires you with the playlist? Do you have a certain theme that you're going for with each of the playlists or what, how do you do that? I usually, so I have an ultimate, what I call my ultimate Halloween playlist. And it's this ridiculous playlist that's, I think, up to like 17 hours long now. And it has over 300 songs on it. Oh. And that's, I have a friend or two that has a playlist of thousands of songs. So I, like, I barely scratch the surface. I'm very picky compared to him. A lot of times with my playlists, I'll kind of start going through the ultimate playlist and look for a theme. So some of the playlists that I've done on my blog, I did a series where they were all based around like different Halloween monsters kind of. So there's one that's all vampire songs. There's one that's all witch songs. There's one that was just like general monsters that I've done. And then some of the other ones, I just... I try to make sure that there's a theme connecting all the songs together. So like the Monster Mash, obviously, every single one was a cover version. Uh, I also did one earlier this year that was a bunch of vintage, what I was calling vintage Halloween songs, that were from like the the 20s, 30s, 40s. So they all kind of had that that older sound to them that it just kind of, I don't know, it adds a spookiness. It's kind of fun. I'm going to have to check that out because I love old music like that, especially if it's got the scratchy sound to it. Yes, there's lots of that. You'll have to listen and let me know what your favorites are. Now, do you have a favorite, say, your top five songs that you have to listen to to get you in the mood for Halloween? Oh, man. Well, I mean, it's I have to say, like, I know everybody kind of steers away from the classics sometimes when you're as deep into Halloween as I am. So, you know, people are like, oh, you like Thriller? Oh, you like Monster Mash? But Thriller really does it for me. I don't know. There's just something about all the effects in the song. And, you know, that creepy, the creepy bridge with the voiceover from Vincent Price. It just, I don't know. It just screams Halloween to me. So that's definitely one that's at the top of my list. Some of my other favorites, there's a really goofy one called, oh gosh, now I'm blanking on the name. The band is Trout Fish in America, it must be Halloween. And it's kind of just this little poppy ditty sort of about, you know, there's all these things out of like pumpkins and candy and kids in costume and it must be Halloween. And it's just a really fun, happy song that something that you would listen to be on a movie soundtrack while kids are like walking down the street trick or treating. That's what I always picture when I listen to it. Some of my other favorites, there's so many. I had one that just popped into my head and then it disappeared completely. And now I just remembered it. Okay, so there's a movie from the 80s that's called The Worst Witch. And I guess it's actually a book. And then it's been redone as a a TV series twice. The most current rendition of it is actually on Netflix right now. But the the one the movie from the eighties had Tim Curry in it as like the head warlock of this witch world, and he shows up on Halloween night and he sings this song about how anything can happen on Halloween. Love Tim Curry, and if you can just if you love him, you can only imagine 
what this song is like with him, you know, all these terrible 80s like effects in the background <laughs> and him, you know, dancing around singing to the, it's just it's so cheesy. It's so good. I love it. That's one of my favorites, too. Oh, I don't think Tim Curry would ever be in a cheesy movie. <laughs> <laughs> Never, ever. Right. <laughs> yeah. Rocky Horror. What? <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's, that's one of my favorites. Actually, that time warp would probably go way up on that list, too, as one of my must must listen to Oh, great. Now Denise is doing it while she's sitting down. <laughs> I'm just mouthing the words, though. <laughs> just saying. Well, I know that you're into doing Halloween 365, but I'm assuming there is a point where you're like, okay, the Halloween, the official Halloween decorations are coming out now. When do you usually start that? So when I'm looking for them or when I'm like putting them up in my apartment? Well, let's do both. So I've kind of, after the last couple of years, I've kind of gotten down, this is probably... This makes me sound like a crazy person, but hey, I blog about Halloween all year, right? So obviously there's a little bit of crazy in there. I've kind of pinned down about when every single store I love to shop at puts out their Halloween each year. So one of my favorites is a store called At Home. They're a really big like home decor store, and it's kind of like everything you could possibly need for home decor. But they usually have their stuff out. They're the one I'm usually hunting like at late June, early July, like around the 4th of July. So that's kind of my first place that I go and look for stuff. And then from there, it's just kind of popping into stores and looking. That said, as much as I love hunting out Halloween as soon as I can find it, I usually wait until mid-September to actually decorate. So it's like about mid-September right now. I have all my stuff sitting in a corner in my living room right now, and I'm hoping to get to it in the next couple of days. But I, I really truly, like like I was saying earlier, try to keep it within the season so that Halloween still has that specialness to it mm. that I've always loved. I agree. I've got my little skeletons and things here in the studio that are a part of my natural decor, I guess you could say. But when yep. it comes to doing the, getting the Halloween boxes out, that's pretty much what we do. We're getting ready to do it. We thought about starting this weekend, but then with Hurricane Irma, we're like, well, we might you know, have something happen to the house, so let's not have all the Halloween stuff everywhere. So we, yes. we waited on it a little bit for that. But uh, I think mid-September is a good time to start doing that stuff. And plus for us, we can't start decorating outside until October because we have an HOA and, a, you know, they're like, we'll give you all of October, but that's it. Ah, uh, <laughs> well, but, at least they do that, right? <laughs> yes, that's true. There are some places that wouldn't let you get out there and decorate. So, yeah. And we've added a fun new tradition. We actually bought Halloween stockings this year, and we're going to fill them with little goodies and presents and unwrap our, each other's stocking on Halloween. So I love that idea so, so much. I am like, so when I started my blog, one of my first things that I decided to do was create a wish list of like, if I had all the money in the world, here's all the Halloween things I would want. And I kind of equated it to like a Christmas list, more or less. So I love that you guys are like kind of incorporating that feel into Halloween. I think we should all do that. That's a brilliant idea. Yeah, well, we couldn't help ourselves because we saw some Halloween stockings and they were, well, I, they might supposed to be Christmas stockings, but there are Halloween stockings, but they're shaped the shape of a coffin and it has Jack and Sally from Nightmare Before Christmas on them. Okay, now I have to ask, where did you find these? At Disney. <laughs> At Disney, of course. <laughs> yes, and then um, and then I was like, well, maybe we should have a Halloween tree. And so one of our listeners just sent us, she'd made three homemade Halloween ornaments. So we're going to get our, our smaller Christmas tree out, and it's going to become oh, our Halloween tree. That's so cool. I actually bought a black 
Christmas tree last year with the intention of doing a Halloween tree, and then it never happened all of October. So I'm hoping to get that done this year. I'm actually even thinking I might turn all my Christmas decor into Halloween decor this year and kind of do more of like a spooky Christmas. So mm. we'll, we'll see. I'm still mulling that over. Oh, then you might be interested since you love kind of tradition and spooky a little bit. It's actually tradition on uh, Christmas Eve to read ghost stories. Yeah, I have another friend, actually, he's from the UK that does a podcast about ghost stories. He asked people to send in um, their own personal ghost stories. And he did a really interesting episode about that. I didn't know that that was a big thing. So it was really interesting learning about that. Yeah, that's what we do here. We uh, we set, oh, cool. we have a little back patio. We have a little fire pit and we get the fire going and we do a live stream. And then we read some of the classic uh, M.R. James, or we have some of our listeners will write some scary fiction. And so we'll share some of that. So we've been keeping that Christmas Eve tradition alive here. I love that. Okay, I'm marking that on my calendar now. So I don't miss it again this year. Because obviously, I missed it last year when you guys <laughs> did that. <laughs> well, and people need to follow you on Twitter, because you're really good about letting people know, hey, Target's got their stuff out. This store's got this stuff. And then on your blog, you also have a newsletter that people can sign up for. And it doesn't have a whole bunch of advertising in it and all this other stuff. It's really good quality stuff that she sends out. So I'm on Thank the list. Thank you. Yes. Yay, thank you guys. <laughs> so do you want her to go ahead and share her Twitter? Yeah, so if you could just go ahead and share that with our listeners. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at S-P-K-Y Halloween. So it's spooky without the two O's. And that's also that's also my handle um, over on Pinterest. And then on I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. And you can search Spooky Little Halloween on either one of those and find me. Now, are you a crafty type person or do you just post a lot of that stuff for other people who are crafty? No, I am definitely a crafty person. I enjoy getting out the glue gun and, you know, all the accoutrements and putting something together. Now, I asked that even though I already knew the answer because I see you making your little... <laughs> was it last year that you made your Halloween witch's hat or something? That was actually two years ago. Okay. So my party theme for 2015 was the witch's ball. And I had this vision where I wanted everybody to kind of do like Kentucky Derby kind of hats, mm -hmm. but witch hats. And so everybody came, you know, we all made witch hats and just came in those. It was a lot of fun. Putting together the hat was a lot of fun. Where do you find all these different ideas? Do you just peruse a lot of different blogs? That's a little bit of it. Some of it is inspiration from Pinterest and kind of doing my own take on it or taking it one step further or, you know, saying, oh, I could do that way, you know, way better and more interesting um, by, you know, adding X, Y, and Z. So it's a little bit of that. Some of it is just me wishing that, you know, I wish I had this thing or I wish I had that thing for Halloween and deciding, you know what, I'm going to make that or, you know, what, I'm just going to figure out how to, how to do it and put it together. Well, that leads us into talking about this killer party planning that you do. Now, when it comes to doing a party, what do you tell people to start with? Do you tell them, you know, kind of think of a theme that you'd like to go with first? Or how do you guide people with that? A theme for sure. I feel like having a party theme, it just makes the rest of your planning really simple because it helps you. I mean, if you're, you know, doing a theme around a movie or a spooky book or something, or, you know, your favorite, you know, you want to do a Dracula theme party, it kind of, you know, that dictates what kind of food you might want to serve or what kind of decor you'd want to see and even what you'd want to put on a playlist too. So I feel like if you have that theme, it just everything else just falls into place and makes it really easy. Now you do more than just blog about that you actually offer is it's an online type course, right? 
It is. It's an e-course. You can sign up for that. It is a paid e-course, but it's a one-time fee of $59. You have lifetime access to the course. So that means that I'll help you plan your Halloween party this year. I'll help you plan your Halloween party next year and the year after that and the year after that. So kind of once you're in, you're in for life. See, Denise's eyes just got big. We need to start having Halloween parties <laughs> around here. <laughs> yes, we and do. And then you can invite me. I'd be happy to come. I oh, love cool. Halloween parties. <laughs> <laughs> and they have the decor that they have at Disney this year. I don't know where they got their theme from, but it is just amazing. I don't know if you've seen any of the stuff that they're running this year. I haven't yet. And she's talking mostly about the merchandise. Yes. They have this little cauldron and it's got the five main characters on it. And I don't know how to describe it, but it's kind of a classic vintage kind of look about it. It's oh, cool. a little bit steampunky looking and a little bit like, you know, Dr. Facilier from uh, The Princess and the Frog that Disney did? Uh-huh. Yeah. Mickey looks like he's dressed up like him. Oh, cool. And so it's just, I saw that and I went, I want all of it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I have to have a party that's something around that for sure. That would be a perfect theme. How soon out do you tell people to start thinking about their Halloween party? I usually say, I mean, really the beginning of September is kind of the sweet spot to really get serious about looking for ideas and planning what you want to do and figuring out out an invitation and all that kind of stuff. You know, I am who I am. I am constantly planning my own Halloween party. Um, You know, as soon as it's done one October, the very next morning I wake up and I start thinking about the next year. Half the time I'm standing in the middle of my party looking at everything thinking, oh, I'm going to do this different next year. Oh, this would work really well for the theme next year. So I kind of never really stop. But I would say really by September is a good time to start Pinterest is a wonderful tool for saving ideas. So you you can just squirrel away everything that you love and come up with a theme from there too and get going. Have you picked your costume for this year? I have. Are you going to tell or is it a secret? I, you know what, just for your listeners, I will share it. I haven't shared it on my blog yet, but I'll share it with them. So my party theme for this year is villains. And it's kind of self-serving because I've wanted to dress up as Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty for the longest time. It just, I love that. That was my favorite Disney movie when I was a kid. I always loved Sleeping Beauty and I always loved, I just, I loved Maleficent's, you know, her crazy horns and her long, elegant cape and that staff. I'm really excited to make my own staff and carry it around at my party this year. So that's, that's who I'm dressing up as. Well, you'd be very comfortable in our studio then because that happens to be my favorite villain and I've got all kinds of great stuff of her all around us. Awesome. Well, and you have the proximity to Disney to score all that kind of stuff, too. So that's perfect. Yeah, it definitely helps. And the one year we did the uh, Princess Half Marathon. Well, I wasn't dressing as a princess. I dressed (laughs) as Maleficent. And I found this great running shirt that had these uh, dragon wings that were on the back of it. And on the front, it said fairy. And then I got the headband that has her horns on it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I so I did her for that run. And that, I wore a pink running skirt because I stayed in theme. So I went kind of Princess Aurora that year, even though she's not my favorite. Aww. I like well, her, but she's favorite? not my favorite. My favorite is Princess Tiana. Okay, I like that's a good pick. That's a good one. Do you have a favorite costume that you have done? I mean, we're talking your entire life. So we've oh, got man. 33 years worth. You have one that's like, that was my best costume ever. So can I, can I pick two? Yeah, I'll let you pick two. <laughs> I, I have one that I made, and then I have one that my mom made for me. Um, And it's actually on my blog. It might be on my About Me page. I can't remember if I dropped it there or not. I think it's on my About page. But when I was two years old, my mom made me 
a Care Bear costume. And I'm talking like a little furry suit. It had the little tummy on it, the heart on the butt, on the butt. And then I had this gigantic head that went over my own and my little face peeked out of like the mouth. And it just, I still have it to this day. I don't know how she made this. Her talent amazes me. And I think I wore that probably for two or three years because she spent so much time putting it together. But it just, as a child, the one costume that I didn't make, that would definitely be one of my favorites just because it was so over the top. My costume that I made that I was, that I probably loved the most was one that actually ended up infuriating me. So I decided that I wanted to be a bat. I think maybe when I was like eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there for Halloween. And so I, you know, I found a black turtleneck and, you know, I found some black pants in my closet and shoes and socks and all that kind of stuff and gathered it all up. And I had my mom help me make some wings and we had these little elastic things that went around my fingers. So when I stuck out my arms, my little bat wings went up and I made my own little headband and she helped me with like painting my face. So I looked like a bat and everything. And every single house I went up to, the comment was, oh, you're such a cute little black cat. Oh, I knew you were going to say they thought that. And I was like, I am not a cat. I'm a bat. And so like, it got to the point where towards the end of the night, I was literally just sticking my arm out and looking at them and going, I'm a bat and taking my candy and leave. Like, I was so mad that nobody knew what I was because I'd worked so hard and I had this vision and absolutely nobody saw it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. You're like, I have bat wings. Hello. What do you think these are back here? <laughs> I guess I should have done bigger ones off my back, but you know, not eight, nine, ten range. That was what I, I wanted my little cape. So, you know, yeah. oh well. <laughs> that sounds like it was adorable anyway. Well, thank you. I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> One of the fun things that you do on your blog is right up our alley because we do haunted history. I don't know if you just do this for the summer. You have your travel Tuesdays. Yeah. So I did it. I did a couple last summer on my own. And then I decided I wanted to bring it back this year. And I actually invited a bunch of friends to participate in it, too. And you went to some great sites, uh, a few of them, which we've actually done on the show ourselves. Will you tell us uh, a couple of the places that you went to? Yeah, so I kicked things off at the beginning of the summer at the Crescent Hotel, which is in Eureka Springs. Um, And it has this really fascinating history to where it was like it started off as a like a girls school and then it got turned into a college at some point and then it eventually turned into a hotel. And there is this doctor um, that kind of was, I guess, like more or less operating out of the hotel, but he was kind of billing it as, oh, you know, Arkansas has all these beautiful springs and they're healing and I'll cure anything if you can come see me. So there's just, there was a lot that happened with him and he, yeah, he ended up doing some very questionable things to a lot of people. And so there's a lot of questions about whether or not that's his spirit haunting the hotel to this day. So that was the first place that we went. A couple of my friends took us to places like Sleepy Hollow. Um, I have a friend who lives in New York City and he goes up there every once in a while. So he kind of gave us the lowdown on what to check out up there. I have another friend who lives in Orange County, California, and she put together a list of five different spooky places in her part of the country um, that you can visit. And you wouldn't really, I guess, maybe your listeners would, but I think, you know, the general public probably wouldn't think of Southern California as a haunted place where you could find kind of all this dark history. So that was really fun. I also had another friend who took us to a little tiny town in Texas, um, in North Texas, called Mineral Wells. And they have a lot of really cool, like, paranormal spots. Her story about the cemetery that she visited was really cool and kind of creepy. So we've kind of been all over the map this summer. It's been a lot of fun. 
when you mentioned Orange County, California, my ears perked up because that's where I was born. So oh, cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm thrilled to find out that there's a bunch of little haunted spots there. Besides, we're long overdue to go back to Disneyland. So just saying. <laughs> <laughs> the Sleepy Hollow, that I, I've seen pictures of the cemetery that's there. I would just love to go there. And I've heard that for Halloween, the church that they have there, they read the legend of Sleepy Hollow inside there on the night. Yeah. So a lot of, so that was from my friend Matt Wood, and he actually does, I don't know if you follow Hollow Woods on Instagram, but he has this little character called Pumpkinhead. And I feel like, I I don't know for sure, but I feel like Pumpkinhead is probably very inspired um, by the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, he just kind of took us around to some really cool spots that you need to check out while you're there. Not necessarily like super haunted places, but it was really, it made me want to go, it made me regret being in that part of New York twice in the last, I don't know, like three or four years and not making a little side trip over to Sleepy Hollow to check it all out. You've been to all of these haunted locations. Have you had any unexplained experiences of your own? You know, it's funny. I think one of my my favorite places that I've been that's haunted, and I didn't have an experience there, um, was the Skirvin Hotel in downtown Oklahoma City. Supposedly a woman up to her death from the top of the hotel. Can't even remember what year it was, but in her spirit is the one that they say haunts the hotel. There's actually a really funny article from, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago when the Oklahoma City Thunder were in the playoffs. And I think it might have been the Knicks, the New York Knicks stayed in the hotel because it's one of the nicest hotels in downtown now. And apparently it scared the bejesus out of them and none of them ever wanted to stay there again because stuff happened. So I was like, okay, something happens there. Just not when I'm there. A lot of my experiences though have been in places that I live. When I was in, I lived in Oklahoma for five years, partly for college and then after. And I had this moment um, in the first apartment that I lived in on campus as I was earning my degree. I had this lamp that was in the corner of my room, my living room. And it was one of those touch lamps where, you know, it'd get, it was a three-way, so it'd get brighter every time you tapped it, and then it would eventually turn off. And all of a sudden, like I had had it probably for a couple months, and all of a sudden this lamp just would turn on on its own. And I was like, okay, that's weird. And I asked my dad about it, and he was just like, oh, you know, he's scientist, science brain. So he was like, <laughs> oh, it's just the electrical current doing something weird. There's probably faulty wiring, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And so I just kind of let it go, but it started happening more and more frequently. And it just, it got to the point where it was annoying me. And so one day it had happened and like, I saw the light get brighter and I turned around and I yelled, I'm like, would you just quit doing that? And it started like circling through the cycle really quickly. And I'm like, oh God, what did I just do? (laughs) So it's kind of been, I mean, I've had little moments like that in places where I've lived, but we're yeah, kind of the same way. We we go to haunted locations and stay at them or what have you, and usually nothing happens. We, we have a neighbor who won't go on any ghost tours with us because she's like, I don't want to see any ghosts or anything like that. And we're like, we have been on so many ghost tours and never had a thing happen. But I told her, I said, the time you come with us, we'll probably have a full-bodied apparition. <laughs> yeah, they'll be like, hey, look. I feel like that kind of stuff probably, I mean, it's kind of one of those that happens when you're least expecting it sort of thing, so... That's usually what happens to us. And it's kind of after the fact you go, oh, that was weird. 
but you don't realize yeah. at the moment, oh, that probably is maybe something spirit happening over there. I'm not sure, but yeah, it's usually how we are. We're just like, that was really weird. Yeah. So I live in a building very close to downtown Houston that's been here since the mid 20s. So it's nearly 100 years old now. When I first moved in, I didn't really think anything about living in a building that was this old. And I had been here for maybe a couple of months and I had this little sign that was on a shelf in my bathroom and it kept falling down. And I was like, I, I just don't understand. Like I'm putting it back and making sure that it's secure and it kept falling down. And then another night I had my, I typically leave my bedroom door open when I sleep, but I had a friend staying over. So I was trying to give her privacy and myself. So I had closed the door most of the way. And it was like, every time I would close it, it would slowly push back open. And I was thinking, okay, that's never happened before. And so I've kind of picked up on these little moments living here now. And I think there's a little girl that is in our building. Um, I kind of get the impression she's maybe like, I don't know, seven or eight years old. And she's, I don't mind her because she's never been malicious in my apartment. She just kind of comes and, you know, goofs around with things. So I've kind of, after the fact, I started attributing, oh, okay, that must have been her coming in and knocking the sign off of my, my shelf. And she was, you know, playing with my door. And the most recent thing was this summer. I have this little glass skull. And inside of it, I have these fairy lights. And I had set it on top of a bookshelf. I had turned it off, set it up there, and left the room. And then I came back and the lights were on again. And I just stood there and I was like, I know I turned those off. Like, I, I don't think I'm crazy. I'm pretty sure. So I just feel like she comes in and just plays some little chokes on me every once in a while. And it took me a while to catch on to what was happening. But I'm okay with her. She's cool. She can hang out. I don't mind. <laughs> she likes to check out your stuff. So she picks it up and then doesn't put it back in the same way she found it. Yeah, just like that natural curiosity of a child. So, yeah. Now, I had been looking through some of your shop, and I was specifically looking at some of the framed art prints. Are those pictures you've taken yourself, or are they ones that you've gotten elsewhere? No, I've actually taken all those myself, and I've actually taken most of those on my iPhone, believe it or not. Oh, wow, because they're, they're really nice. There's some really great pictures in there. Thank you. I, you know, I take so many photos of Halloween stuff throughout the year and especially during Halloween season, my phone. I'm not a person who keeps a ton of like photos and music and all that kind of stuff on my phone typically because I like to have the space for other things. I'm almost up to 2,000 photos. I don't think I've ever had 2,000 photos on a, on a phone as long as I've owned them. So it just, I don't know, it just seemed like a natural way to share some of that art kind of that I was taking, kind of the more artsy and fun photos that I've taken too. Well, very cool. Miranda, I want to thank you for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. We thought it'd be great to tack this on to our third year anniversary show. And since it's on October 1st, to get everybody in the mood for Halloween coming up. And I couldn't think of a better person to talk to about Halloween than Miss Spooky Little Halloween herself. Well, thank you guys so much. It's been a blast. I've enjoyed sharing my, my favorite obsession, my favorite H word with you guys. So thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, let everybody know again where they can find you on the internet. Yes, my website is SpookyLittleHalloween.com. You can also find me on pretty much all the social media channels. I'm on Twitter at SPKYHalloween, also the same handle on Pinterest. And then you can find me on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Spooky Little Halloween. Well, perfect. Well, you have a fabulous Halloween and uh, hopefully no more hurricanes come anywhere near Texas. (laughs) 
Yep, I've decided already since I'm doing villains. If anybody comes as Hurricane Harvey, they automatically win all the costume prizes. <laughs> okay, I'll be there. What, what time's the party? <laughs> October 28th, 7 p.m. But you don't like to go around in circles, Denise. And if you're going to be a hurricane, you got to go around in a circle. Oh, not Harvey. He just he just hangs out. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He yeah. did just kind of. Park I, I didn't say it. I wanted to be Irma. <laughs> She'll just hang from one of the lamps. You know, I'm just hanging <laughs> off the light. Something like that how works. much yeah. does that girl had to drink? <laughs> Which is well, funny because I don't even brew. drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how much of the witch's brew has she had? <laughs> you have to be able to laugh about these situations after you go through them, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, you know, I tell people now, I'm like, you know, seeing a full-bodied apparition, not a big deal. Hurricane, right? oh my God, terrifying. It just kind of, <laughs> when you start measuring things accordingly, it's like, you know, that's just not as scary as it used to be to me anymore. Yep, I agree completely. <laughs> All right. Well, you have a great rest of your night. And thanks for joining us again, Miranda. Thank you guys, too. Happy haunting. Happy Halloween, everyone. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Denise, that was so much fun talking to Miranda. And I have so many great ideas now. And I could tell you, when we finally get around to planning our Halloween party, because I think we're going to be the ones who end up doing that, like for the cul-de-sac or something. Yes. I'm going to contact Miranda and have her help us plan. Well, Denise, here is to another fabulous year that we have coming. We have so many great locations planned for this next year. A lot of great people we're going to be talking to. Here in October, we always do a couple of extra shows. We're going to have the Halloween special coming up. And usually here in October, our locations that we choose are a little bit more creepy than some of the other ones. So we'll warm you up and get you all nice and creeped out for Halloween. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to our anniversary special. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to thank all of our executive producers. Dave and Ann Student, Melissa Patasini, Mike at Pleasing Terrors, Lindsay Smith, Cindy Wad, Rhonda Borgen, Heather Williams, Bob Flood, Susie Doomy, Jennifer Svoboda, Richard Tyrell, Shannon Corsi, Walter Mose, John Kanya, Steve Pappas, Ren Davenport, April Barber, Cindy Fellows, Sasha Wolf, Tammy McCarroll Burroughs, Felicia Pittman from the Until Dawn podcast, Lee Gibson, Jade Lewis, Matt Hirons, Christina Bray, Emma Pett, Rachel Zajic Zakowski, as we finally call you, Rachel Z, Katie Bigelow, Ruth Schulte, Emily Reidner, Rich Gibbs, Bob Sherfield, Amanda Prouty, Richard Zeliff, April Garachi, Marta Zellway, Angie Akbrzad, Lindsay Otto, Christine Bell, Jennifer Welch, Stephen Nash, Jack Henry, Nicole Caps, Debbie Wilson, Brett Swinson, Deborah Mobley Burns, Gina Lavoy, Dan Garrity, Lacey Walters, Christy Deemer, Deborah Darling, Christine Klein, Jennifer DeLeon, Michelle DePriest, Alex Franjezevic, Jason and Jonah Widmer, Melissa Nelson, Debbie Seeger, Amanda Wachuda, Renee Cochran, Jennifer Bach, Tracy Duhon, Josh Wood, Roger, Jenny Lee Watt, Liz Evans, Stuart Putney, Aaron Shipley, Shelby Hammond, Amy Martinez, John Mueller, Sarah Thylan, Megan Gregg, Mark Fathers, Tanner Campbell of the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast, Amber Wright, Hilary Fontino, Jen Belkis, Courtney Hadley, Roxanne Goon, Melody Davis, Roberta Mason, Marissa Deal, Allison Schneider, Don Wood, Mark Shoemaker, Joe Tamulonis, Darcy Kenworthy, Heather Isery, Kathy Webb Thomas, Alicia, Joanne Lum, Rose Devereaux, 
Beth Lale, Becca, Andrea Valdez, Nicole Reef, Rhonda Mayfield, Jennifer Taylor, Laurel Christick, Margarita Magalon, John Venezia, Jojo Jensen, Brianne Barr, Gwen Cohen Brown, Jim Hoffman, Teresa Rowland, Dina of the Twisted Philly Podcast, Karen Miller, Tim of the History Dweebs Podcast, Julia Miller, Bella Patiacina, Stacey May, Carly Bornman, Tiffany Schaefer, Jessica Peterson, Glenna Becker, Julianne Hanscom, Bianca Roth, Pam Ennis, Kathy Benzunas, Jerry Polly of the Hillbilly Horror Stories Podcast, Mackenzie Grundle, Kristen Swintek, Eleonora Conejo, Margaret Wittick, Coy Pittman from the Until Dawn Podcast, Jaylen Liddell, Ginger Galloway, Kelly, Jennifer Bott, Camille Good, Bonnie Galtney, Athanasia Molatsiotis, Tom the Viking, Patrick Wolf, Suzanne Silk, David Crabtree, Kathleen Kenna, Rachel Peterson, Allison Redland, Colin Champ, Rachel Hoare, Don O'Cream, Lindsay Lee Sutton, Karen from the Stat Podcast, Jody Peterson, Sarah Parrott, Dan Foytick of the Lift Podcast, Corey Untelin, Maxwell Parker, Monica Crossan, Cindy Pierce, Marianne Shabunas, Krista Klein, Connie Moreno, Lauren Burke, Joanne Cohen Veda, Jenna Jennifer Larson, Brandy Bledsoe, Kevin Vale, Annie Cardio, Barb Niles Barrett, Miriam Waller, Keisha Rochelle, Amanda Griffith, Ingrid Frizee, Charlie of the Insight Podcast, Maximilian Wink, Aaron Byrne, Cerise Locke, Melanie, Mally Frias, Taylor Grimm, Jamie Ha, Mary Beth Gardner, David Del Carpo, Holly Becker, Tracy Buckman, Gavin Regalia, Adam Smith, and Joyce Serpus. Thank you for your support of our show. We greatly appreciate it. Yes, we definitely appreciate each and every one of you. Mm-hmm. 